You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So today is Ascension Sunday, as well as it is for Williamsburg Christian Church being Baby Dedication Sunday. So in the Christian calendar, it's Ascension Sunday. The American calendar, it is Memorial Day weekend. In our church calendar, in addition to Ascension Sunday, it is Baby Dedication Sunday. So lots going on. Lots to consider as a people living in this moment and in this time. And then practically speaking, we find ourselves on the heels of a mass shooting in this country, again, in addition to the racially charged shooting in Buffalo, we now have this mass shooting in Texas where 19 children and two teachers were taken from this world. It's never lost on me, and I don't know why, I wished it would be, to be honest with you, I wished it would be lost on me. In all sincerity, and I'm glad it's not, but I kind of wished it would, that it's too easy to go about our lives as if nothing has changed, because in many ways nothing has. While many times people live today in a different way. And what I think sometimes the church forgets is that these victims that we do not know could very well be brothers and sisters in Christ. I think sometimes in our country we forget that people we push away from borders and people we push away from our hearts could very well be baptized followers of Jesus. But I also do know that many of our parents here have had conversations with their children this week. Many of our parents here have had extra diligence with their children this week. I've talked to you. I also know that in Buffalo, we have some black mothers and fathers who had to talk to their children as their children came to them and said they were scared to grow in a grocery store. Not all of us share those realities, but some do. I also recognize that this Tuesday marks another year of the mass shooting in Virginia Beach. And with all that said, we have to acknowledge that we are the royal priests of God. We are called to remember, even when we want to forget. And so I wished that we could just go about life as normal, and I like the world is spinning all on its own in good standing. It's easier for us to forget what happens in places like Ukraine or Syria or Russia or China or Iraq or other places in the world. It's a little easier to forget that. It's not as easy to forget it when it happens in our nation. And so we need Ascension Sunday. And at the end of this, we'll pray together. But we need Ascension Sunday. So let's talk about Ascension Sunday. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. This is what Paul wrote. He said, I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened. Everybody say enlightened. enlightened. So you may know what is the hope of his calling, not your calling. What are the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his vast strength? He demonstrated this power in the Messiah, that is Christ, by raising him from the dead, and read this with me, and seating him at his right hand in the heavens far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, everybody say this age, that means now, but also in the age to come. And he put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Church, we are the fullness of Christ. That's what the text says. When thinking of the ascension of Jesus, it's easy to think of it in terms of something like the absence of Jesus. That the ascension is when Jesus floated up in the air, right? And into outer space to leave earth and reign in heaven. And you see this in the imagery and paintings 
feet dangling from the air as the disciples watch in amazement. As Jesus kind of looks up, doesn't even wave by. Right? And this is how we interpret, quote, taken up to heaven. It's like a scene from a superhero movie. He's evacuated the world. And he's left us to carry on the work. The ascension of Jesus isn't about absence. It isn't about evacuation. It is royal exaltation. Everybody say royal exaltation. I need you to say that, church. We need to know that it is royal exaltation. Because Jesus hasn't left us. He isn't absent in our lives because he hasn't evacuated from the world. And still, this whole narrative of ascension remains this kind of lackluster event in a series of extraordinary events. A life that loves, that involves a ministry that heals the hurting, that welcomes the unwelcome, that dines with the rejected, that ends in a trial, that leads to a death sentence as an enemy of the state in crucifixion, that miraculously and unexpectedly overcomes the power of Rome, violence, death, and does it by resurrection. And then, just a few verses in the scriptures that use this language that in their day Mark makes far more sense than our own. He goes up into the heavens. Everybody say, up into the heavens. Now again, I need you to hear me on this, please. To them, see to us up into the heavens means up there. But to them, to the hearers of the Bible, up into the heavens, and I know you're not, you shouldn't be surprised. Up into the heavens is royal language. It's political language. Everybody say political language. It is political language, which is why if you read Ephesians 1, it says, far above every title that is given, far above every ruler and authority, up into the heavens, seated at the right hand. These are political languages. It's a poetic expression of royal ascendancy and exaltation, supreme power. They hear it differently than us. So it has a whole different scope of authority. And it has a whole different scope of God's presence. Ephesians 1.20, he demonstrated this power in the Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but the age to come. There is no one more supreme and authoritative for the Christian than Jesus. Now, the rest of the world who aren't Christians will come to know that to be true. But in our baptism, we've confessed it to be true. If we end the story of Jesus by saying, and then Jesus went off to heaven, but someday he'll bring back God's kingdom, then we get all too easily believe that we're free to run our own lives however we want to and assuming that he's absent. We have no other option but to return to the idea that we can somehow adequately control our lives and the circumstances around us. But the ascension is not absence. It's royal exaltation. Jesus is Lord, not Lord elect. He is Lord of lords right now. He's been seated at the right hand of God, which in the Apostle Paul's society means place of absolute authority over all things. The ascension of Jesus as Lord and King is less about his strength of power and more about the scope of his presence and the authority of his Lordship. Whatever your life is into right now, Jesus is actually in it with you. That's what Ascension says. He's the all-power, absolute authority over all things. So don't just believe in him. Believe him. Receive him. Trust him. Remain loyal to him. Even if the facts on the ground say otherwise, remember that you are a royal child of God. You have been given the right to be called God's child. And all authority of your God has been transferred to you. So speak the authority of Jesus as Lord over your own situations. Come on. Jesus is not far off. He is not absent. He is not separate from you. The ascension declares a heavenly declaration of promise. He's with you. And beloved, this is one of the most important truths of our faith. It's a truth that can set you free. But I mean really free. Everybody say really free. Such an important truth that without this truth we actually can't be free. 
I think Jesus was pointing to this when he found himself in an argument with religious and political leaders when they tried to make a political point at the expense of a woman that we've often called the woman caught in adultery. Now, we're not going to talk about the problems with how we refer to her right now, so here's how the debate plays out. John 8, verse 30. Now, if you have a version, everything is in your version app if you want to grab that. All the notes, all the, all the scriptures. John 8, verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in Jesus. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth. Everybody say it. And the truth will set you free. Whoa, 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 whoa. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you'll become free? Jesus responded, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. Slave doesn't remain in the household forever, but a son remains forever. So if the son has set you free, you really will be free. I know you are descendants of Abraham. I know your nation. Come on, that's what he's saying. I know your founding fathers. That's what he's saying. But you're trying to kill me. Because my word has no place among you. See, without truth, there is no freedom because we are left figuring out everything in our own. And before truth is a proposition, it is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the life, and what? The truth. And we cannot be free without Jesus and the truth of Jesus, who Jesus is. At least that's what Jesus seems to think. But we can believe we are free. Hear me out, church. We can believe we are free, just like they believed they were free. We can think our descendancy makes us free. We can think that our ethnicity and nationality is what makes us free. We can think that. And in many ways, we practically and functionally are, but not in the way Jesus is speaking. Not if what Jesus is saying is true. Jesus is saying that isn't the kind of freedom that really frees you. We need Ascension Sunday because Ascension Sunday invites us to ascend to the truth of the ascended Christ where true freedom is found. Paul, who wrote that Ascension text we read, wrote this to the churches in Galatia. Look on the screen if you will. Christ has liberated us to be what? Stand firm then and don't submit again to a bondage of slavery. Now, well, we've got to be technical. We can't just read this however we want to read it. Paul goes on in this text in the next few verses to unpack that the Galatian Christians, if they just try to keep works of the law as an effort to get saved, they won't have freedom only what God has done in King Jesus actually brings freedom. But to go this route of trying to save oneself is just to bound yourself up into slavery, into yourself, and into your own works. That's actually the text that Paul is getting at. But then he turns, and he makes a more general application in verse 13. He says, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Read this with me, please. Only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses. Keep going. But serve each other through love. And that, beloved, is a whole different thing. All the law has been fulfilled, he said, in a single statement. Say it with me. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, let me say that again. He said all the law. Because they're trying to keep the law. That's what he's saying. He said, they're trying to keep the law. He said, well, that's cool. That's cool. Because all the law is bound up in one sentence. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour each other, be careful that you don't get eaten up by each other. I say be guided by the Spirit and you won't carry out your selfish desires. A person's selfish desires are set against the Spirit and the Spirit is set against one's selfish desires. They are opposed to each other. There is an internal tug of war in all of our lives. That's why we feel the strain. It's the Spirit versus Fred. They are opposed to each other so that you shouldn't do whatever you want to do because the thing we want to do is appeal to the selfish desires. 
right? It's the natural bent of who we are. What we want to do is submit ourselves to false freedoms and ignore the freedom that we actually have in Jesus, which actually really sets us free more than any nation state can ever give. But we don't really believe that as Christians in this country, I don't think. At least our witness doesn't seem to indicate that we do. What I want to ask my church families, do we believe it? What kind of freedom are we going to model to branch and all these kids? What kind of freedom are we going to model to our neighbors who don't know freedom at all because they don't know Jesus? See, he goes on to say, verse 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, you aren't under that kind of law. The, the actions that are produced by selfish motives are obvious since they include sexual immorality, moral corruption, doing whatever feels good, idolatry, well, that'll speak, witchcraft, hatreds, fighting, obsession, losing your temper, competitive opposition, conflict, selfishness, group rivalry, jealousies, drunkenness, and any other things like that. And I always find it interesting when Paul's like, in every other thing. Like, he never wants to keep going, but he's like, in everything else like that. Like, Paul's just like, all the things. But here's how you know it's all the things that work against you loving neighbor. That's what all these things are. Every one of these go down to I'm not willing to love my neighbor in the way that I want to love my neighbor like I love my neighbor like I love myself. Every one of them. From sexual immorality to fighting. Listen to what he says. I warn you, as I already have warned you, that those who do these kind of things won't inherit God's kingdom. It's a hard text, Paul. Now those who belong to the Christ have crucified the selfish desires and passions. The thing is, when Christians give in to these things, we're raising them from the dead. Do you ever talk about that? Like, when we give in to our selfish desires, we're raising our selfish desires from the dead because they've been crucified in Jesus. We raise them from the dead when we pursue false things, when we pursue idols, when we're willing to hold on to something, even at the expense of a neighbor. He says, so since we live by the Spirit, then... Follow the Spirit. Then what does he say after this? For the fruit of the Spirit is, what? Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against those things, there are no selfish desires. See, Paul wants the Christians here and us to know that the fullest experience of this freedom comes when we open our eyes and witness the unfolding story of God's gospel as God's kingdom breaks into and around our lives. And as we move more deeply into submission to the lordship of Jesus and trust the vision of God for the world. Everybody say vision of God for the world. Say it. It's the vision of God for the world revealed in the scriptures. That prayer we prayed about weapons being put into plowshares, that's the vision of God for the world. Not war. That's not the vision of God for the world. Not violence. That's not the vision of God for the world. That's our vision for the world. That's not the vision of God for the world. The people of God are supposed to learn how to see the world through the eyes of God and then live as if that world is actually coming true. Does that make sense? That we say, God, I see that. I see what you're getting at, God. So I'm going to join a band of followers, and we're going to make that world possible by how we live in light of your vision. And God, when we can't do it, whoa, God, when we can't do it, we're going to need some help. God says, I got you. You've got my spirit. You just have to decide what you're going to live for. That's the, that's the scriptures. That's the Bible. Because with the freedom that Christ brings, there is responsibility. As we move more deeply into submission to Lordship of Jesus and trust the vision that God has for the world revealed in Scripture, we find true freedom. And that freedom transcends all other others, all other freedoms, and puts them in their place. 
Look at verse 13 again. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your selfish impulses, but serve one another. This freedom comes with responsibility. And if you look at the language serve, if you look at the language serve here, you know what that language literally translates as? It translates as slave. Serve is watered down language. It literally translates only don't use this freedom as an opportunity to flesh, but be a slave to one another through love. You may imagine how like provocative that is. To be a slave. That's the opposite of how we operate because we say we're free. I'm free, Ariel. I'm free. I ain't nobody's. You ain't got to do what you tell me to do. I'm free. Paul says, you are to make yourself a slave to Alvin. That's what text says. We're free. We're free. But not to enjoy this freedom with this sense of entitlement for personal gains. That mindset leads to endeavors that lead to chaos and violence and all the laundry list of selfish desires and strife and hatreds and jealousies and competitive group think. We experience the fullness of this freedom when we understand that we can enjoy it, but we enjoy it for the good of others. So, beloved, our freedom leads to one of two places. One of two. It either leads to following self into a life of selfish desires where we get life all twisted, or it leads to a life that follows Jesus into self-giving love where life actually gets liberated. One leads to freedom that seeks self-interest. Everybody say self-interest. While the other seeks self-giving love. Everybody says self-giving love. One leads to freedom that preserves. Everybody say preserve. While the other leads to one that perseveres. Everybody say perseveres. One leads to a freedom that is limited. And one leads to a freedom that is ascended. And every single Christian gets to choose. Every one of us. And even in all this talk about how we should become slaves to others in love. In order to keep us from falling into a trap of subtly moving into a works-based righteousness. Paul reminds us that one of the gospel's most refreeing realities at work in all of this is this. You can't do this on your own. You need the Holy Spirit of God to give you the strength to do it. Because if it's loved up to Fred, it ain't happening. We all know that. And so we have to choose to whom we submit. Do I submit to me? Do I submit to my politics? Do I submit to my ideology? Because it does things for me? Or do I submit to Jesus? who's going to redefine all those things. I may get what I want, but I will always get what I need when I submit to Jesus. If I submit to me, then it's going to be up to me to find what I need. What you start in the flesh, you finish in the flesh. What you begin in the Spirit, you finish in the Spirit. That's also Galatians 6. You were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in this statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. The freedom we have been given comes not with entitlements, but with responsibilities. I am talking to us as Christians. We live in a world bent on entitlements and freedom and democracy. And it's often interpreted to mean that I can live how I want to live, make and spend money how I want to, treat my neighbor how I want to, pursue the kind of life I want to. And though this may be true of our nation's independence, for which I am thankful, it is not true of our confession of dependence upon King Jesus. It isn't. And that's problematic because now we feel the tension. 
Keep in mind that this letter, Galatians, was written to churches, not an individual. Now, it applies on a ground level to an individual, but it doesn't stay there. It is for a faith community. So we have to remember this one great distinction. You and I are not free to believe that our relationships with God is private. Do not mistake personal for private. Our relationship with God through Jesus Christ is personal, but it is public and it is communal. So we don't get to say, well, you believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe. We got to come together with the Bible open and see what's Jesus telling us to believe. And that's different. If I'm free to believe what I want to believe, then I become the source of my own truth. Then I become an enslavement to myself. But if Joe says, Fred, I don't think that's what it's saying. And Janet says, I think Joe's right. And I say, well, I don't want to believe that. And Savannah says, but don't you follow Jesus, Fred? Isn't that what it's saying? Then I have to decide, am I going to be liberated or am I going to be enslaved to me? As a Christ follower, we have the Holy Spirit. Verse 25 and 26, since we live by the Spirit, we must follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. As a Christ follower, we should know that connected to our individual expressions of faith is the call to love our neighbor. It is irrevocable. Our lives must be oriented and ready to be given to others. Because to love God and be loved by God is to love our neighbor. And to embody God's love for the world, just as Jesus did. But in an intensely individualized and personalized, customizable culture. Where community is fragmented. Where we draw lines of division in the sand. This becomes difficult to remember. Paul says, Christ has liberated us to be free. Stand firm. If you are called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for your selfish desires, but serve one another through love for the entire laws. Fulfill in one statement. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you or I live a self-centered or over-individualized, everybody say over-individualized, please. I think that's important. I think that's really what it comes down to. It's an over-individualized life where we think that somehow our personal relationship with God, so personal that it's private, then the fruit of love, joy, peace, and on and on and on will never actually grow in my life. We will never truly be free. And here's the thing. You ready for this? Here's the thing. Paul lived his own words. Look at the screen. 1 Corinthians 9. This is what he said to the churches in Corinth. Although I'm a free, although I am free from all. What did he say? Everybody read it with me again. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone. You see that? Come on now, Paul. Why are you making things complicated? I was asked to speak at this men's breakfast Friday, and I was uh, asked to speak on Deuteronomy 30 and the Torah and the Law of Moses, and we were talking about all this, and by the time it was all done, had this one man. He was a, he was a sweet man. He's probably about in his 80s. He walked by me. He didn't even look me in the eyes. He said, Pastor, before I met you, my life wasn't miserable. I said, WCC might say the same. <laughs> he just kept going, too. Like, he didn't even qualify. Like, I'm like, really, bro? <laughs> Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone. For what reason, Paul? Say it. Come on, say it. For what reason? In order to what? It's about the witness. It's about, say it's about the witness. It's about the witness. We live in a society that draws lines in the sand and says, my rights, my freedoms, my democracy, my thing. And Paul's saying, no, 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 to save people, to, save, to bear witness to something else, lay it all down. Lay it all down. In order to win more people, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to what? Win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law. Though I myself is not under the law. To win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law. And then he was like, you know, but I'm still following Jesus. That's what he says. <laughs> though, though I'm not without Jesus, y'all. To win those without the law. Come on now, say it with me. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that I might by every means save somebody. And now I do all these things. Why? 
Because of the gospel. That's why. It's because of the gospel. It's not because of America. It's because of the gospel. I get to choose. Just in think, just in case we don't think Paul is clear. He goes on in the next chapter and says this in 1 Corinthians 10. So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I am speaking as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I am saying. Now read this with me, verse 23. Everything is permissible. Say it, but not everything is what? Everything is lawful, but not what? He said, you may be free to do it, but it may not be helpful for the gospel of Jesus. You want to know when you've met a truly free person, my opinion, is when they are so free in Christ that they can give up a freedom. You've met a truly free person then. Because I'm not owned by these things. I don't feel that entitlement. I am truly free when I can give up a freedom for the good of a neighbor. Some of y'all may be thinking, where are you going, Fred? Let your mind go wherever it goes. Fill it, seriously, fill in any blank. Any blank you want. Money? Go ahead, fill it in. Second Amendment? Fill it in. Fourth Amendment, fill it in. Whichever one you want, fill it in. And does it change the text? It doesn't change the text. Not for Christians. So we can wind it out however we want to wind it out. But the church is called to a much larger freedom. One that has a responsibility of a witness to love neighbors. That's for what we have been set free. See, our country reminds us very often that without freedom there is no sacrifice. And that's true, but not in the way we mean it, in my opinion. When I think of Jesus, I see that the only way that he's able to sacrifice his life is because he's free. When I think of the early church and the early Christians, the only way they're able to sacrifice their lives is because they were free. Freedom leads to sacrifice because I have nothing to lose. Because I have gained everything in Jesus. That is why two-thirds of this world that does not enjoy a measure of national freedoms that we do those Christians are free too, maybe even freer than us. Because we become enslaved to our freedoms. Our freedom of speech, where we say anything to anybody, however we want. Betraying the law of Jesus. And all I'm asking, I know to some degree I'm kind of preaching to the choir in this church because I'm so grateful for your witness. I'm bringing this to our attention so we don't forget in the midst of all this. So we don't fall into these traps. Christ has ascended. Christ has been glorified as Lord of all. Christ's exalted presence fills all things in every way and is the authority of all things in the life of a Christian. He is in all of it with us. He is the all-powerful, absolute authority of all. So let's not just believe in Him. Let's believe Him. Let's receive His power. Let's trust Him. Let's remain loyal to Him. Even if the facts on the ground say otherwise, let's remember that we are a royal child of God. Let us remember that we've been given the right to be called God's child and have authority of God that has been transferred into our lives. And we can speak authority. We can speak the authority of Jesus as Lord over any situation because Jesus is never far 
off. He is not absent. He is not separate. He is with us. But we have to choose. So beloved, please choose to ascend to the truth of the ascended Christ where true freedom is found. And this should change how we process all societal ills that evidence so clearly that the reign of sin and death is in this world. Societal ills like violence in all forms, including things like gun violence. The violence we saw in Uvalde has become difficult to process in our society. For one, it involves the loss of life. Not on the battlefield. Or in so-called dangerous neighborhoods. But at places of learning and growth, the 27th school shooting in this nation year to date. Over 212th math shooting year to date. And then we finally, when it happens, we start talking about mental health. And the challenge with this as a society is that we don't discuss mental health before something like this happens. And oftentimes... Mental illness concerns get oversimplified and weaponized as we grasp for answers that cause us to really sidestep the issues. And the reasons I say this is because of my work in the mental health system. Y'all know I'm neck deep in it here. I say this because even in the state of Texas, they cut $211 million out of their mental health budget just last year. So is it really that our concern? And at least one thing that makes processing mass shootings difficult in our society is that it always brings up what as a society we should do with guns, particularly assault rifles. And this stirs up conversations about freedom, rights, and Second Amendment, and that's when the fights begin on every side. And then that's how it works. In our grief, Everybody say grief. Shock. Everybody say shock. Anger. Everybody say anger. We're just left with impulsive responses. We're left with impulsive reactions. I've fallen into it. So then the question has to be asked, how should all of this processing work in the church? Like how can or should followers of Jesus process these things? Who do we need to be, Lord, in this moment, in a society like ours? I mean, is it really as simple as saying, well, as long as sin is at work in the world, there'll always be death? Is that really where we want to go? Is that the vision of God for the world? Is that where we want to resign ourselves? Is that really a reason informed by Scripture? And so then even the church... Even Christians, even we, are left trying to react impulsively out of our grief and anger to what we see because our processing of these issues usually happens outside of the church. Let me repeat that again. Even the church is left trying to react impulsively out of our grief and anger to what we see because our processing of these issues usually happens outside of the church. And I hear people say, and I want you to hear me on this, please. I hear people say that these matters are political, so we shouldn't talk about them in church. True. They are political. So is morality. At least that's what the moral majority led by Jerry Falwell, joined by James Dobson, Pat Robertson, and others thought when they worked to advance conservative social values on political levels, censoring issues like prayer in schools and anti-abortion agendas and the so-called sanctity of marriage advocating against gay marriage as Christian political issues. But I didn't hear preachers stop talking about morality. Have y'all? Greed is political, is it not? Justice is political. Violence is political. And yet, all of these things are theological. They're theological before they're ever political. 
Violence is theological. This book's filled with it. Morality, greed, justice, all theological. And what I've come to believe, and you can quote me on this, what I've come to believe is that when Christians say matters like these are political and shouldn't be talked about in church, they are most likely sidestepping the issue because if Jesus gets involved in the discussion, it might end up costing us something we don't want to pay. So then let me ask, what discussion should we and I, should you and I have as a Christian on Facebook, at the water cooler, in our home, or in church, in which Jesus shouldn't be involved? Can anybody tell me? I'm asking, because I don't want to miss anything. I didn't think so, because he's Lord of all things. So here's the problem. Churches are filled with people who do not follow Jesus. They may pray, they may come to the table, but they may not see or understand or take the lordship of Jesus thoughtfully. And if that's the case, they will not see God's vision for society or take it in thoughtfully. And the challenge is that these churchgoers may not admit it or even see it, and I have been that churchgoer. But Jesus taught us that by their fruits you will know them. Events like what happened this week and many weeks before, including events like Buffalo, are revelatory. They reveal something. They expose the fruit that is really going from the tree of faith. They do. They sort out allegiances and they reveal idols. And they reveal where we really think our freedom is. And the challenge is not choosing to get it all twisted. So, as I close, here's the vision of God for the world. Turn your attention to the screen. Isaiah 2, verse 2, 4. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountain and will be raised above the halls. All nations will stream to it and many peoples will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths for instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords in the plows and their spears in the pruning knives. Nations will not take up the sword against nation and they will train again for war no more Hosea chapter 2 verse 18 on that day I will make a covenant for them with the wild animals the birds of the sky and the creatures that crawl on the ground I will shatter bow sword and weapons of war in the land and will enable the people to rest securely Proverbs 25 verses 21 through 23 actually this is proverb repeated by Paul in Romans chapter 12 verse 20 if your enemy is hungry what Give him food to eat. And if he is thirsty, what? Give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Luke 6, verse 27, Jesus' words. But I say to you, listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks. And from someone who takes your things, don't ask them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those who from you expect to receive, then what credit is that to you? Even, lend, even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do what is good. And lend expecting nothing in return then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil be merciful just as your father is also merciful second corinthians 10 3 5 for although we live in the flesh we do not, see, because, see, when we read that, a lot of times we go, well, but what about now? But what about now? Like, I get that's where God's going, but what about now? 
Here's what Paul said. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war, say it with me, according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not what? They're not of the flesh, y'all. But here's what we don't believe. But are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and make a statement on guns. I have my opinions about assault rifles, and that's not a secret. It shouldn't be a secret. I own guns. I like to hunt. But here's what I believe. The one who declared a future through the prophet Isaiah that weapons would be beat into plowshares and gardening tools who commanded that we bless our enemies and resist the urge for violence. This Lord we understand to be our prince of peace will not become our advocate of violence, our savior of swords, or our God of guns. He just won't. And we have to choose what we believe. Because we are making this world just as we intend to make it. And as Christians, we can be liberated into making this world a different place. But we can't be liberated into making this world a different place if our reasons and our rational and our arguments sound like everybody else. Then we're no different. And so then we'll pray this prayer 27 more times. We'll ignore the parents who had to talk to their children. We'll ignore our brothers and sisters of color who had to talk to their children about grocery stores. We will ignore the truth of what's happening in the world if we don't think like Christians. I'm just asking you to be free. So we pray. So if you'll stand and let's pray for these people, these first responders, these suffering mothers and fathers and sons and daughters and governing officials who are trying to figure out what to do outside of the authority of Jesus, which is an all but impossible task. So page 20 and 21, you're not going to look at the screen. It's not on the screen. Page 20 and 21 in your worship guide. God the Father, you gave your people what was written in the law and the prophets that your people might live in peace. Have mercy upon us. God the Son, you suffered violence for the sake of the world. Have mercy upon us. God the Holy Spirit, you bind us together in the unity of love. Have mercy upon us. Holy Trinity, one God, you model for us the perfect and holy relationship in which you intend for all people to live. Have mercy upon us. For all victims of violence, especially those affected by the mass shooting in our nation these past two weeks in Buffalo and Uvalde, we pray that you would make your lordship known, O Lord. For those who have been injured, that they might be restored to health, we pray that you would make your lordship known, O Lord. For those who are afraid, that they may know your perfect love which casts out fear, we pray that you would make your lordship known, O Lord. For those who mourn, that they may be confronted in their distress. We pray that you would make your lordship known, O Lord, for all who have died, that they may be received into your compassionate embrace. We pray that you would make your lordship known, O Lord, for first responders, firefighters, chaplains, nurses, and all others who work to restore order, heal the wounded, and care for the needs of the community. We pray that you would make your lordship known, O Lord, for all volunteers who give their time and resources to meet the needs of those affected by this tragedy, we pray that you would make your lordship known, O Lord, for leaders, both in the church and in our government, who strive for greater peace, compassion, and understanding in the world. We pray that you would make your lordship known, O Lord, that the world may one day be free of violence. We pray that you would make your lordship known, O Lord, that war and bloodshed may one day be no more. We pray that you would make your lordship known, O Lord, 
that we may no longer desire revenge when we are wronged, but instead your justice, which is mercy and grace. We pray that you would make your lordship known, O Lord, that each of us might be empowered and equipped to work toward a just and peaceful society. We pray that you would make your lordship known, O Lord, that all people might be united to seek the cause of your kingdom. We pray that you would make your lordship known, O Lord. We ask your forgiveness for the ways in which we ourselves are complicit in the problem of violence in the world. Lord, have mercy upon us. We ask your forgiveness for the ways in which we pursue our own self-interests, fail to consider others as you considered us on your cross. Lord, have mercy upon us. We ask your forgiveness for the ways in which we have been seduced by worldly notions of freedom and in idolatrous ways have placed these freedoms above your summons to be peacemaking ambassadors of reconciliation and royal priests. Lord, have mercy upon us. We ask your forgiveness for any unkind words we have spoken against one another. Lord, have mercy upon us. We ask your forgiveness for any prejudice, bitterness, or hate we harbor in our hearts. Lord, have mercy upon us. We ask your forgiveness for the times when we have repaid evil for evil. Lord, have mercy upon us. We ask your forgiveness for the times when we have been slow to forgive. Lord, have mercy upon us. We ask your forgiveness for all we do, think, and say that causes us to fall short of your command to love one another and treat others as we would want to be treated. Change us, Lord. Convict us. Lord, have mercy upon us. And help us to hear your words when you told us to be merciful just as you are merciful toward us. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in our lives, our homes, and our hearts on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus we pray. Beloved, my purpose of this message today is 100% to remind us of our freedoms. 100% to call you to live the liberated life Jesus has given you and to call you to speak what is truth in a world that is bought into what are lies. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.